did that's plenty good anywhere okay we're live looks like we're live okay hey everyone welcome back to the final of our series of called audience of one we're so delighted to have you here again whether you're watching this live tonight on facebook wherever you are in the world we want to say welcome uh we want you to be part of the conversation you can uh, send us in any questions that you've got we've got uh bill here coming up shortly and we've got our good friend pete husky back uh so let us know in those comments where you're watching from from around the world where you're listening into um if you're watching this back again on on youtube please make sure you you give it a bit of a like and try and help us with our subscribers there I've been told to say that by my uh, seven-year-old son, Dad, you need to get subscribers to your YouTube channel. So I have no idea what that means, but yeah, I have to listen to my son. Um, we're uh, absolutely thrilled. It's been an incredible four weeks. We've had some unbelievable guests on. Our thanks again to Stuart Sink, who's, who's been playing well these last couple of weeks on the PGA Tour, to George Lydon, the infamous and world-famous and renowned guitar maker and to uh, Linvoy Primus and Philip Mitchell, who were on last week. Famous uh, Linvoy uh, played football or soccer for any of our American friends watching at a very successful level in the Premier League. And tonight we're, we're up on our game as well for the last, we're raising the bar for our last oh. night. And uh, I am honored, I am thrilled and delighted to have my good buddy Pete back. Pete, come on and say hi to us and let us know what life's been like for you these last couple of weeks since we last yeah. heard from you. Well, thank you. Thanks, Bud. It's good to be with all of our Irish friends and uh, you in the UK and around the world. Great to be connected again. It's, uh, you know, the US is opening up a little bit, I guess they say, although the, the cases of COVID are still, um, seems to be level or on the rise. It's hard to tell, but things are somewhat returning to normal. So, which means we, uh, more, most importantly, get on the golf course a little bit. <laughs> So uh, fortunate to be able to, to play a little bit the last week and I'm hoping, uh, hoping that continues. But good to be with you. I'm, I'm, it's, it's real, really, it's a real honor for me to introduce my friend, uh, my brother, really, Bill Rogers, who we have just had a, a great run the last, I don't know, maybe 15 years or so, just uh, getting to know each other, um, sharing life together uh, through golf. And so I think you're really going to enjoy getting to know Bill tonight. So, uh, Bill, say, say hello to everybody. Oh, thanks, Pete. Great to be with everybody. And I couldn't help but think when Spud made the comment, wherever you are in the world, uh, literally this Zoom technology allows you to reach out across the world real time right now. I mean, that just kind of blows my mind. But uh Anyway, I've learned that when a Hiskey, in particular, Pete or Jim Hiskey, uh, raise the flag and ask you to do something, um, more often than not, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up. So it's good to be with everybody. It's an honor and privilege. I love what Spud is up to, Tim, behind the scenes there. And uh, we thank, uh, thank them sincerely for uh, allowing us to uh, kind of be a light in the kingdom and uh thanks for having me uh bill thank you so much for as pete said there's no other word for it but we are completely truly honored to have you 
uh, part of our, our, our broadcast, whatever our video tonight, whatever way you want to look at it. Um, for those who don't, who don't know you, um, tell us a little bit about yourself um, from where you are now at the moment in the world and maybe what this current season of pandemics and lockdowns have been like for oh, you. And maybe take us back a little bit to how you first got started in this amazing game that we, I love called golf. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, uh, I'm coming to you, uh, to the world from San Antonio, Texas. That's where my family I live, uh, we have two children. I've, I've been married for almost 40 years to my uh, amazing wife, Beth, who, uh, you know, was a, a, a strong partner in my life uh, on the tour and in life as well. But uh, gosh, I'd have to think way, way back. I started the game when I was nine years old. My, uh, I came from a golf family. My father was a good player. My brother, middle brother was a good player. And um, heck, it was a game that I just immediately fell in love with. And uh, I did have, you know, some athletic ability and good hand-eye coordination. And I can uh, remember that really just from the very start, the, the first time I ever put a golf club in my hand, I could do it, uh, which is kind of amazing, I think. But uh, that doesn't mean that I didn't go through frustrating times. But it, it really fit, and I was able to uh, – as a result of having watched watch my father and brother play the game, uh, I picked it up very quickly. Uh, and kind of the underlying tone to uh, probably improving pretty quickly, and the fact that I could do it quickly. I love to compete. Uh, I, I love the aspect of winning and hate hating losing, but I did like uh, uh, the idea of uh, testing my skills from a very very early age. What about how did then that develop you then into being in the life on tour? What was it like for you? Because you know you, you you were in the Walker Cup, I believe, and then you made the jump into the tour. Tell us a bit about those days of, of transitioning from uh, rising up in the amateur ranks to then going pro. Yeah, I um, <clears throat> uh, not unlike many that do it today, kind of grew up in the junior ranks, playing junior golf, loved it. Uh, High school golf, that was just kind of a, uh, a natural stepping stone to uh, moving into college golf, of which I uh, kind of had an early sense that this, uh, this crazy game is, uh, you know, that I loved is something that I would uh, want to do for a lifetime, frankly. And I knew that because uh, I was a golf fan watching uh, the professional golfers at an early age. But uh, in high school, I made the uh, determination that I wanted to go to a high profile golf school and really hone my skills uh, to be able to make the big transition. And that was to the PGA golf tour. Um, I actually in 1968 began my uh, college golf career at the University of Houston. I uh, walked in the door with uh, my best friend in life who is no longer with us, unfortunately, Bruce Litsky. We were freshmen together. And um, heck, it was a it was a great uh, great spot to improve your golf skills and really grow into uh, grow from a golfer into a player. And the competition was fierce. And uh, fortunately, I was uh, a quick learn in the game. And like I said, it uh, as a competitor, 
you, you just want to find out where you are and test your game all the time. And I found that uh, at the University of Houston and uh, in, in high level amateur golf. And ultimately that did uh, give me an opportunity to play in the Walker Cup matches, which was, you know, someplace uh, that, that an amateur player wants to accomplish. That's a, a, a high goal in the amateur ranks. And after I was through with the Walker Cup matches, my next step was to uh, transition into trying to get uh, my PGA uh, card, my PGA Tour card. And fortunately, I was able to uh, accomplish that. Uh, my first try in 1974, the fall of 1974, and I began my professional career in 1975 as a pure green rookie. Awesome. So, Pete, uh, come bring you. I want to bring you in here, brother, because yeah, I think um, I see you're sporting your 148th Open Royal Portrush hat tonight. Right there, yeah. man. Oh yeah, for sure. You're representing. I get the representative from my shoulder. Um, I'm the only yeah. one that doesn't have something with open on it today. I should. <laughs> The jug in. You've got the jug. You should have the jug in the background. <laughs> Next time. Yeah, um, I, I'm really good. No, you go I'm ahead, really, bro. Yeah, sure. I, I, I Bill, it's just a, it's such a, you know, most of the guys nowadays they go, we just hopped on the tour. We know it's not quite as easy as it sounds. You know, it's uh, and it's quite always obviously much more complex nowadays, but uh. You know, you had you had some fairly early success, um, and then uh, you your game slowly got. It seemed like it, it rose. That um, if you looked at your, I guess maybe if you looked at your your PGA Tour kind of like uh, it grafted, it would it would it always have been on the incline, always going up till 1981, because we want to get to 1981. So, you know, how how do you see those years? You know, as a as a professional golfer, and, and maybe how how did you get how did you improve? Well, that um, uh, is a good uh, kind of snapshot of, you know, my early tour years kind of gradually uh, uh, enjoying some success until kind of the pinnacle, which was 1981. Or certainly if anybody looked at a snapshot of my career, they would probably uh, take, a, take a look at 1981. But as I began the tour, uh, my, I think I, I wasn't a goal setter, but I think um, I was just quite content with just um, the lifestyle. I knew the, the first time I teed it up in a PGA Tour event, I just had this great comfort level. And uh, uh, at that point in my life, I wasn't giving God any credit for anything because it was a world all, all about me. But uh, probably he uh, favored me with a, uh, without knowing it, a, a feeling of this is right where I want you right now. And uh, as I began to grow as a player and uh, kind of a steady progress uh, in learning, learning a lot of what a, was required of a tour player, the lifestyle, it's not just about hitting a golf ball and shooting low scores and playing well in tournaments. There's a lot, lot that goes on. And like you said, today's world, uh, very, very much more complex than when I played the game. But, um, you know, I just uh, I just hung on for the ride and I could have never imagined uh, that uh, my uh, my style of play or who I was as a tour player would ever lead to 
what was going to happen in 1981. Uh, I guess the the one thing I could say is I really never got in my own way, though. I uh, as I became uh, more confident in in how I was uh, adapting to tour lifestyle, as I began to enjoy some successes, a few wins here and there, um, I was just uh, uh, enjoying kind of the upward trend of where my golf game was taking me. And, um, uh, you know, I was kind of enjoying some success as well, not only on the PGA golf tour, but internationally. And I, I could have never imagined that. I, um, yeah. I did a fair amount of international travel, having won in uh, Japan and uh, Europe, even before 1981, the world match play and uh, the Teheo Masters in, in Japan, uh, which were all um, uh, kind of things that led up to uh, 1981, where I was a, a very confident player. And uh, uh, in, the, in the early summer, 1981, uh, the U.S. Open was played at Marion, and I, I finished second uh, to David Graham uh, at Marion. And um, you know, was just brimming with confidence. And, and frankly, any competitor in any sport uh, wants to catch that uh, light in a bottle for, of course, he'd like to hold on to it, but, you know, just there's nothing like giving an athlete some confidence. And um, heck, a month Bill, later, I'll, I must, pardon? Let me interrupt you just for one second. I want to, because we wanted, we do want to spend a little time on 1981, but, um, you know, obviously you're getting, you're, you're growing as a player and better. And you had this um, kind of spiritual ride at the same time. Like, I think we should go there first before we go to kind of yeah. all the success of 81. Because you grew up, I mean, you were a good guy. I mean, you're a good guy. Yeah. You go to church. You know, I'm, 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 a, I'm a nice guy. I mean, everybody would say Bill Rogers. That, yeah, he's a nice guy. And uh, he, had, he had some some downsides. I mean, you know. There was some some tough times in there, but but tell us a little bit about your faith journey, like in the mid seventies, all the way up to like nineteen eighty one, and maybe how that kind of prepared you for um, what happened. I mean, what happened nineteen eighty one? So a lot of people don't really know the the total uh, story of nineteen eighty one. So tell us a little bit more about your spiritual story during that time. Well, I'd have to. Um actually backtrack to being brought up uh, with a beautiful family. I was an Air Force brat and uh, we lived all over the world. My dad was in the Air Force, but uh, I was not brought up in a so-called Christian family. However, a very loving family, supportive family, but uh, church faith was not uh, an integral uh, part of who we were as a family. And so uh, I guess I found a lot of my uh identity in the early years and really even up until early tour years and uh you know my performance and the opinions of others and uh, through the opinions of others i was a world-class people pleaser i could make anybody like me and that was very important to me and uh you know that could be uh you know i could write a book on that certainly but as an early tour player uh it, you know the world was uh, mine to take and I had nothing other than uh, me as the focal point and, you know, had a lot of people also um, ensuring that uh, 
the world was all about me and giving me a lot of support in that regard. But mm -hmm. for, uh, interestingly enough, in uh, 1976, my second year on tour, I uh, was playing the Tallahassee Open and uh, uh, kind of was just going through a normal tour, uh, early week. And uh, there were three gentlemen that always promoted the uh, tour Bible study, Rick Massengale, Wally Armstrong, and Larry Nelson. And they were, uh, you know, everybody knew kind of where they were in their faith community and what they, uh, who they represented and uh, were very much proponents of the tour Bible study and were very gracious and uh, in encouraging the younger players on the tour to, you know, come and see what the tour Bible study was all about. But, you know, I could remember oftentimes at invitation saying, you know, yeah, you know, maybe I will, but with full out knowing that I would never uh, decide to go to a tour Bible study. However, in Tallahassee, uh, Larry Nelson approached me and said, hey, we're having the tour Bible study at the Holiday Inn. That's where I was staying, by the way. Uh, you know, why don't you come, you know, see, uh, just kind of get you an early dinner and come to the tour Bible study. And for some reason, I could remember, uh, I probably can remember a little slight head butt as, uh, you know, from God saying, you know, this, this is going to be your time to go and see what's going on. And uh, frankly, to, uh, short, uh, to give you the short story of a long story, that particular evening, I went, I did go to the tour Bible study. And I heard the good news, the gospel, I, uh, I met the Lord that night, I walked out of the, uh, I heard the gospel message, walked out in the parking lot and lifted my hand and said, um, asked Jesus uh, to come into my life. And I gave my life to him. And, mm. you know, I was a, uh, there was no doubt that, um, you know, I was a, a new creation then and there. And there was a defining moment uh, in my life. But, uh, and as I often tell the story, uh, after the fact, I can say I was on fire for two weeks. It, it was a, it was a, a two-week commitment, and heck, I was, uh, you know, heck, I changed a behavioral uh, behavioral change. You know, I uh, I was a foul mouth, very vulgar talking, kind of, you know, just a hard, intense kind of player. And uh, anyway, I I quit cussing and quit using the profane language. I started reading the Bible, but it was short-lived. I, I lived, I didn't understand uh, what a commitment to following Jesus was all about. I didn't, uh, uh, heck, I quickly fell right back into the routine of, uh, well, the harder I work and the, uh, you know, the better I'm going to get. And, you know, I'm going to navigate this tour life myself. And it wasn't define as defining as that, but uh, I, I do believe that uh, I thought that I could, I could get there without any help. And to be honest with you, I often tell the story. I'm not so sure that I really didn't walk into that Bible study, uh, hoping for a little divine help with my golf game, to be honest with you. That's how, that's how probably soul sick I was at the time, <laughs> searching for a little help, you know, but, uh, Anyway, well, kind you're, of you're not the first tour player, Bill, to ever do that. Um, you know, <laughs> plenty of guys walked in there and, you know, with the idea that God helps them or helps themselves. And, right. you know, that's it's it was a seed planted, though, in your life. I know it was it was a turning point because you, you uh, realized that, you know, you needed God in your life, uh, but really didn't 
know what it meant. So what were, just give us a couple of the next steps and then we'll, we'll uh, hop up to 81, but tell them, you know, some of the, some things that started to happen in your life. I know you started connecting more with guys on the, the PGA tour, you know, became your peers and friends. Yeah. Well, you know, um, gosh, I, like you said, I was, uh, I was quick to <clears throat> make, make friends on the tour. That was part of the ease of the tour for me. And, you know, everybody kind of has their friends base out there, so to speak. And my friends were Bruce Litsky, Curtis Strange, Jay Haas, Ben Crenshaw, Bobby Watkins. I, I had, uh, uh, you know, a, a, a good uh, friend support group in that regards. And, and that's a good thing. You know, you, you're not necessarily, although you're cordial and have relationship because you're a traveling band, uh, uh, you know, kind of the traveling show, so to speak, you're seeing everybody week in and week out, but I was friendly enough with everybody could get along with everybody, never had any real issues with, uh, anybody. And, you know, that life, uh, Um, life pretty much on the tour uh, that but uh, anyway I, I would I'd have to be just brutally honest in saying uh, occasionally running into whether it was Larry or Rick Massengale or Wally you know from time to time would certainly them further encourage me um, I, I just uh, you know God's plan was not for me at that time to uh, you know to give it all to him it wasn't until later that uh I began to recognize the emptiness in my life and, you know, the fact that I, uh, I needed to fill that void with something meaningful and more satisfying than, you know, what the, uh, the tour could actually provide for me. So there's a lot to that story, but, uh, maybe we can get there. Uh, yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about that. that, but I think it, it's most, most people, you know, look back and they go, man, this is, this is a man. And, uh, Bill Rogers, who rose to the top, I mean, a number one, you know, player in the world in the time of Jack Nicklaus, the time of Tom Watson, uh, you know, at one point, um, you know, holding the titles of the, the Canadian Open, I think it was Australian Open, uh, the British, or the, the Open, the Open, um, and, and really having a chance to, you know, I mean, one of, the, one of the most interesting stories for Bill and I in our friendship was I, I didn't realize this, but in the last round of the 82 Open, and Bill had was holding the, the titles in Australia, Canada, and, uh, and the Open was playing in the last round with Tom Watson. And we all remember that famous chip, you know, that Tom knocked in. And I've watched it a hundred times and I, I looked at the, the film and I look at who's on the green next to him. There's this guy in a yellow sweater. And I go, I think that's Bill Rogers. And I call Bill and I say, Bill, were you there when history was made, when Tom Watson made one of the most famous shots in golf? And he's like, well, yeah, I was there and I was about 15 feet away putting for birdie, a chance to get in, you know, right in it. And uh, I was trying to win the tournament. And, uh, you know, I'm all, you know, <laughs> my, my memory of that uh, that event was quite a bit different from Bill being firsthand seeing that. But, you know, Bill, you were right there with the chance uh, to hold, I guess that would be four national titles, right, at one time. Well, Is that uh, right or I, not? Yeah, I'd like to take the credit for Canada, but that no, was okay. – I, I didn't – but <laughs> Australia and, and, and the Open Championship, yes. And the, the uh, a couple of things about that last day in 82, which uh, – you know, being a part of kind of arguably one of the most recognizable and, and 
memorable U.S. Opens was I, I actually, Watson and I were tied for the lead the last round, and I actually led through nine holes that, that last day and then was there for the memorable chip-in, which that wasn't the only uh, amazing thing that he did that day, I promise you that. But, uh, yeah, it was a very uh, cool thing. I, I remember that morning my father had driven all the way out to watch me play the from home in Texas to – watched the last round of, of that open. And he sees me before the round and he says, before he said anything, he said, do you know that if you win today, you can hold the trophy, you can be the national champion of three different countries. And I said, oh my gosh, you could have said anything but, the, but that, but uh, it was, it was uh, I'd had a very mediocre year up until uh, the U.S. Open, and it kind of was right in the middle of it till it became the you know the Nicholas Watson uh, duel. And anyway, yeah, that was fun. That was good. It it was uh, it was kind of uh, kind of a heady place as a golfer to be, and uh, you know I really wanted so badly, maybe too badly, to win. Uh, our national championship, the U.S. Open, and it had been on the heels of the Open Championship. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what would have happened, but uh, well, let's think. let's go back to a, a, maybe a little more positive memory at Royal St. George's in '81, <laughs> and uh, I had this picture on my desk. You know, it's underneath my glass, where I pop it up here of Bill coming through the the crowd. You know, and. It's uh, was such a, you know, as a, as a child, it's such a memorable experience watching a open championship and seeing Arnold Palmer busting through or Jack or Bill Rogers, you know, it was like mm. one of these, you know, memories of all time, but, but take us through um, that week, you know, and, and any memories you have. I know there's a couple that are pretty, uh, pretty people would find very interesting about maybe getting to the first tee or walking through 18. What, just give us a couple of your memories of, of that particular week, Bill. Well, the opener was that, uh, you know, anytime you were in a setting where you were around your friends and able to spend a lot of time with them, it kind of um, just puts you in a frame, a good frame of mind to compete that week. And that's where I was. Uh, my wife hadn't traveled with me, but Bruce Litsky, Ben Crenshaw, and several other, I met Tony Jacklin and a bunch of other Americans were staying about 30, staying together about 30 minutes from the golf course. And we were just, had, we just had the, uh, a phenomenal week, obviously, uh, ultimately me, a, a truly phenomenal week, but, uh, you know, the, the, the mood was good. The attitude was good. And, uh, kind of like I had mentioned, uh, a month earlier, I'd finished second to David Graham in the, in the U S open. So I was brimming with confidence. So I couldn't wait to, man, golly, all you want to do is uh, go through all the, um, you know, your, your warm-up routine and all your uh, prep work just to get, you just want, want to be inside the ropes and get to that first tee. Mm -hmm. Well, my uh, caddy and I had gotten to the putting green in plenty of time before the beginning of our first round, and uh, I lost track of time. He lost track of time, and I'm just mindlessly putting on, on the on the practice clock which is about probably I, if i remember it might have been as much as 50 or 75 yards or so from the first tee but we had completely lost track of time 
and I'm, 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 I'm putting and, and a, a gentleman walks up to me, I'll never forget his name, John Whitbread, and he was uh, a sports writer for one of the, uh, the uh, European newspapers. And he said, Bill, if, if I'm not mistaken, I, I believe you're on the tee. And I look over there and sure enough, they're my playing partners and my caddy and I start off on a deep sprint right to the first <laughs> tee. And it's absolutely tea time when I when we arrive. And uh, the, the long and short of it was that uh, had that sports writer not come up and uh, made mention of the fact that it was he thought it was my tea time. You know, I would have been disqualified and missed my tea time. So that was a kind of a awkward, peculiar, precarious start to the week. But um, you know. Um, we, we at least made our tea time right on time. And, uh, you know, kind of everything else fell into place. That's great. No, can, may yeah, I ask? Is, but why don't you, yeah, why don't you turn, turn, turn us on? I got a couple other questions here. No, sure. No, it's, um, well, I just want, I'm just, I'm, I'm so keen to, to know your, what was it about the, the Lynx setup? Because obviously Lynx courses, you know, we grew up with them here. In Ireland and in, in Scotland and in the, you know, the UK as well. What is it about coming from America and playing in those length courses? Obviously, I'm sure you had experience of playing in them before, but what 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 was it like for you to win that on the links, but also throughout your career coming back to playing links courses? Well, my first uh, open experience was in 1980 at Muirfield. The year before, that was my first open, and uh, absolutely fell in love with Lynx Golf. And, you know, I think that that is kind of the formula you, uh, because I, I knew an awful lot of players that did not like Lynx Golf. I fell in love with it. And, you know, if you're fighting that from the, from the start, you're, you're, you're more than likely not going to fare too well. I have a, a, a suspicion that almost all of your open winners love Lynx Golf. And I think probably... Uh, most of your open winners would uh, probably fall into the class of being good ball strikers and very imaginative type uh, players, being able to play low, high, around, on the ground. And, uh, you know, uh, you, you always had to have a good short game in Lynx golf to, uh, uh, to, to bail you out, so to speak. Not that, that it doesn't run true everywhere, but uh, a good short game is is invaluable but uh links golf allows you to use great imagination and uh somehow or another i developed that at, at, at an early age uh in my short game and was able to play a lot of the uh different shots that were required to have success uh on links golf brilliant um, what's it what's it like? I'm, I'm intrigued to know as, as a golf fan What's it like for you in that moment? You know, the first couple of days, I think you played with your buddy, was it Ben Crenshaw, the yeah. first few days? And you were both pretty much in contention going into the weekend. What, what, what's it like seeing your name up on that leaderboard and you see other names looking back now who are just in the hall of fame of golf? Nicholas, Palmer, Player, Crenshaw, Watson, Langer, you know, Savvy, you know, all those oh, names. Yeah. Yeah. And, and your names there. <laughs> yeah, how, how did that happen? I, I often ask the question, but yeah, let's don't forget Savvy. Golly, I love uh, watching him, playing with him. But, 
Yeah, you know, that's that's heady company uh, to sometimes be mentioned in. And in fact, some a lot of the group that you mentioned played on our 1981 Ryder Cup team, which was, you know, uh, a, a great place to find yourself as an American. But, um, you know, I, I often say that I think I played in the very best era, uh, the time frame from not and I some people would say it was a shortened career, 14 years. Uh, I would never look at it that way because I, I began competing when I was nine years old. So I had a, I had a, a, a very long competitive career, but uh, someone uh, uh, maybe certainly shorter than a lot of them uh, as, as it relates to the PGA Tour. But yeah, I, I had the great uh, opportunity to uh, meet all the, uh, the great ones. I, you know, from Hogan and Nelson, and uh, I never met Bobby Jones, but uh, all the all the tremendous players that uh, we've come to really cherish and and relish in this in this great game of golf, and kind of by um, have been able in uh, modern day to follow these uh, young players, and in 1999 actually uh, was able to co-captain with Ben Crenshaw the uh, winning Ryder Cup, the American Ryder Cup, uh, mm -hmm. which I met a lot of the younger players, uh, mm -hmm. some of the carryover older players, Payne Stewart and Davis Love and Hal Sutton and those certainly I played and competed with. But anyway, the experience of open golf and having been successful in that arena and, you know, the idea of carrying around a major championship as an accomplishment uh, has afforded me much. And I don't take that lightly because the platform of golf and having had uh, some success in it has really, uh, I think, afforded the, uh, the kingdom much. I've, um, I was a slow learner and didn't understand the value of that until after I left the tour. So there's been a lot of, uh, lot of water under the bridge and a lot of things that you don't kind of magically show up and have a year like 1981. Um, you know, there's a lot of uh, blood, sweat, and tears, uh, a lot of experience uh, that brings you to a point like that. But uh, it's beautiful to look in that rear view mirror and know that God's hand was right mm -hmm. on your life. And you could uh, can so easily see how he orchestrated uh, all these things to eventually come to, you know, a place where that you could use them for, for his uh for his value and his kingdom. So that's that's the great benefit of having invested a life in the gift that I was given. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, tell us uh, what it was like that final round on the, on the Sunday and, and that experience of coming down 18 with the big lead that you had, you know, Bernard Langer's chasing you, and then to, to get over the finish line and to hear those infamous words, the the championship golfer of the year is Bill Rogers. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'll, you know, I'll never forget it. I mean, and, uh, you know, when it all wraps up, whether it's, uh, you know, someone winning a major championship or a tennis player winning Wimbledon or the U.S. Open or, you know, an NFL team or whatever, the, the exhilaration is coupled with the relief of it. And it, it's a it's an experience that you know only a champion can really sense and feel. It's ha almost hard to relate it, except that it's almost overwhelming. But I would tell you that um, 
uh, the day started, uh, the last day at the Open started very uh, in, a, in an awkward way because I had a five shot lead starting the, uh, the Sunday. And of course, with that said, it's my championship to win or to lose. There's no, uh, no other way to look at it. And the first three days I played beautifully, comfortably, confidently. And I could tell driving to the golf course on Sunday um, that there was a little something different in, my, in the way I felt. And this is just what you uh, encounter and embrace as a competitor. You, know, you don't feel the same way all the time. And I knew that I uh, didn't feel the same way as I did the first three days. And uh, immediately uh, I felt a little bit of a defensive, uh, in a defensive mode. And sure enough, after seven holes, I, uh, I was three over par for the day and it let everybody back into the golf tournament. And um, I'll never forget, and I can only attribute it to experience and being mature as a player that uh, going to the eighth tee box, I was able to compose myself and understand that uh, I was still in the lead, still playing well. And, uh, you know, I just had to, uh, the tee shot in front of me was the most important shot I had of the day, which was the eighth tee shot. And so got back into a playing rhythm and mode and, you know, frankly was uh, fortunate to be able to get my feet back under me and, and bring it, uh, bring it home. And, Boy, you, everybody, uh, yeah, I'd love for everybody to experience what it's like to bust through, a, uh, you know, the crowd that's formed around you and coming through that crowd and then the beautiful setting of all the grandstands and the people awaiting their champion. And uh, it's, it's, it's very memorable and, you know, forever grateful that uh, I chose the great game of golf to be able to experience something like that. And like I said, to revert back earlier, I had uh, absolutely no aspirations, even beginning the tour uh, or thoughts that I could wind up in that, uh, that setting, but I, it happened. And so, since you've already mentioned it, I was trying to avoid it being a Europe, being <laughs> based in Europe. You did mention the 81 Ryder Cup you know, a few, not long after that. And we've actually had a question come in from a, a good buddy of mine, Gary. You know, you're, you're going into that as a rookie and you've already listed some of the names who were on that team. And that Gary just wants to know, what was it like to be part of a team, to be, you know, all of a sudden those guys are your competitors and then all of a sudden they're your teammates and your buddies? <laughs> well, I can tell you interestingly, but, you know, pardon I think that was your, I hate them say this out loud, that was Europe's most heavy, still is Europe's heaviest defeat. Oh, gosh. I, I tell, <laughs> uh, I, I'll tell you, you know, a month, or, uh, well, two months earlier uh, from the Ryder Cup, which was played, at, I believe it was September, maybe mid-September, it was at Walton Heath. But, you know, I was their open champion. Now I show up at Walton Heath and I, I'm, I'm their uh, enemy, you know. So it was, uh, it, it was interesting. It was my first Ryder Cup and uh, golly, it, uh, there's no, no, re, uh, no secret to why uh, a, a player would beg, borrow, steal, kill to be on the Ryder Cup team because it's, uh, it's so special. And you're now going from everybody uh, competing against one another to be in a team and pulling for one another. And um, it's just, 
it's just so uh, so good and so right, mm -hmm. and to and especially to be on there with some of your best friends in the world, Bruce Litsky and Crenshaw and Pate, uh, Tom Kite, and you know just uh, and then to be uh, captained by Dave Marr, one of the you know just special men in golf. Uh, mm -hmm. It was just uh, it, it was a year to uh, you'd want to put in a capsule and kind of save. It was. It was that good. And not to try and, you know, fast forward too quickly, but, you know, I think 1981, you were crowned PGA Tour Player of the Year. It was just, as you say, such an incredible year. But, you know, I actually came across an article today. I mean, we we're just chatting about it before we came online, online tonight. You know, uh, you're up on a list alongside Bobby Jones as, as, as some of the top players to have stopped the game too early, what many critics and pundits would believe too early. Tell, tell us a little bit about that experience and what brought you to that decision. Well, uh, good question. And I, I would be the first to tell you, I, I'm not deserving to be on that list of, you know, Bobby Jones and some of the really other greats that, but the fact is, uh, you know, a tour players, uh, ultimately they're, they're probably their identity to some degree, but their career is assessed by uh, and analyzed as what success they had and how long did they play. And some would say 14 years was abbreviated. I would say that it probably, it might have been two years too long for me, too many. But, um, you know, uh, there were a lot of factors involved. I, um, uh, to have gone kind of from a pure rookie in 1975 to the PGA Tour Player of the Year in 1981, and then all the way back down to a, you know, just a uh, retiring from competitive golf in 1988. That's a pretty, uh, pretty dramatic ride. I, I would say that not many careers have, uh, have been able to look much like that one, but I, I was ready and I can, uh, one point I always like to make is that uh, when I left the tour, it decided to not play anymore. I left with absolutely no regret and um, which I believe that, and ultimately uh, God did show me that uh, an affirmation that, you know, uh, he was going to, he had different, a different plan for uh, the rest of my life. And uh, heck I was, uh, like I said, I didn't miss tour golf. I didn't miss the lifestyle. I didn't miss the, uh, what was required, the investment, uh, made in order to stay, uh, at a, at a super level. And, um, you know, heck I had a young family, two young children, Blair and Ben, and I wanted to go home. I wanted to raise a family and what, uh, what tour players might say, go home and, and kind of pick up on a normal lifestyle. And uh, I was tired. I was tired of the lifestyle and uh, the rigors of it. And uh, my wife, frankly, was not near as uh, committed to that, the exit as I was because she loved the tour life uh, and was good at it. But uh, it was right for me. And um, I, I no longer miss the, uh, you know, the, the desire, the, that burning desire uh, in your gut to go and test it one more time and let's see, uh, let's see what we can do. And, um, you know, I, 
I was ready to ready to go home. Pete. Yeah, I think Bill, uh, a lot of people would probably find it interesting to, to uh, hear where golf has taken you in your life. You know, you talked about winning championships all over the world, but you know, since then you become kind of like an ambassador. You know, we're all one of God's great callings to us in life for adventures to be an ambassador of His, to be a representative of His, and you've you've been very well, you've been well-traveled in that. <laughs> uh, you know, personally, I've had a chance to go with you down to Argentina and all the way out to the edge of the world in Mongolia, golf in Australia. You know, we've, we've um, it's been a pleasure to travel with you, but um, you know, how's it been for you just being uh, kind of like a traveling ambassador and maybe some of the things, what have you learned from some of those, those trips? Well, Pete, um, that's, that's, I think, the question, you know, I was hoping we'd get to. And, you know, um, Max Licato, uh, I heard him say once, and in fact, I think one of the books, uh, one of his books mentioned it, was, you know, we all want to find our sweet spot. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm kind of living my sweet spot now. I think it's right where God wanted me. And, you know, uh, in order to find that, it, it requires a lot of important people uh, to come into your life. And when you're open, vulnerable, probably broken and uh, humbled and you need uh, good counsel, you need good direction. And that's what happened to me immediately when I left the PGA Tour. I, I uh, fell into the company of those that cared about me wanted to see me uh, begin a faith journey, a meaningful, committed mm -hmm. faith journey. You being one of those, your father, Jim Hiskey, being one of those. Good friend of mine, Jim Barker, Max Licato, Wally Armstrong, many, many, many people. And I mean, God favored my life so much with uh, making it very apparent how I was going to use what I'd done in the first half of my life for the most significant part of my life which is now the second half, so to speak. And ambassadors, uh, uh, I think, is a, is a, uh, is a, is a great uh, description of, of where I find myself, you find yourself. We've been gifted with a game that allows us to introduce uh, what's meaningful, important to us, to uh, all walks of life, meaning uh, maybe from the poor, poor to the rich, poor, to kings, to presidents, to whomever our lives might come across. Goff has a wonderful way of being a, uh, uh, a format, a, a, uh, a platform with which to uh, share with people and to uh, enjoy relationship with them and friendship with them. And uh, I, I think it just took me a, a while to figure that out. And it required an exit from uh, you know, what I did for a good long while to really grab a hold of it. And gosh, I feel like um, uh, one of the most fortunate uh, people alive to have experienced such a great game. And I, uh, scripture tells us that um, in Luke, to whom much is given, to whom much is entrusted, much is required. And um, the, uh, maybe a large degree, I've taken that seriously. Uh, uh, gosh, I've, 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 it's been a it's been a process and still a, a very much a work in progress I am but 
Um, I love the calling to, to uh, be involved in the kingdom, see where God's at work and join in him and serving, uh, serving with you, serving with others that love the, love the work. So Bill, when we look at the word now, I was, I was thinking as you were speaking, the word availability, you know, being available to whatever God wants you to do, whatever, um, having your living a life hands open. But is there any one experience, you know, like that you think people from all the world would say like, well, that I never thought, you never thought you'd see yourself there. Is there anything yeah. that like, when I prompt you with that question, is there anything you'd say like, man, I never thought the golf would take me to this place. Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, if you want a real experience, if you want to, if you want to experience an, an adventure, just jump on God's, uh, on, on God's <laughs> Amen. train. Amen. Right. It's beautiful. And, uh, you know, it's interesting coming from such a self-absorbed, uh, self, uh, uh, selfish uh, existence to some degree that the tour can be, but then to break out of that and uh, almost operate in the, in, you know, kind of the, uh, an opposing world, so to speak, where, uh, you know, it's all about others now. I mean, you know, we want to share our stories. We want to share our faith. We want to share where we've been. We want to share relationship. We want to, we want to be with others and uh, we want them to experience what we've experienced, freedom and uh, uh, them too, to be able to uh, share what God's done in their lives. And uh, gosh, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a wonderful uh, adventure for me experience. And uh I love the idea that it's not all of this is not found in big programs or organizations or big, you know, the big uh, theaters. Uh, I've found the, you know, the, the smaller, uh, you know, beginnings, the, you know, developing relationships, being available to certainly family uh, uh, first, we want to take care of, but then to reaching out to others and, and becoming good friends, genuine friends, is a is real important to me. And I think I think the faith community is all about that. You know, being a, a good faithful friend. Any uh, just so you answer my question, <laughs> any one particular uh, place or experience you know, that stands out to you, Bill? Any? Well, yeah. Let me let me give you this one, and I think I know where you want me to go with this. <laughs> <laughs> You've mentioned Mongolia two or three times, but I can remember Pete's uh, father, Jim Hiskey, uh, confronting me, let's say it's five years ago, and, and just almost on a whim, but certainly it was serious to him. He mentioned, you know, we ought to go to Mongolia. Believe it or not, there is golf in Mongolia. And I can remember when he mentioned that, that I just uh, let it run right off my back like... Uh, you know, uh, not even qualifying that I'd heard what he had said. A year or so passes and he says, you know, Bill, I'm really thinking very seriously. I think we ought to go to Mongolia. Uh, we, we know some people over there that actually know about golf. And, um, and I, think, I think it'd be a good place for us to, uh, to, to travel together and we can put a team together and go there. And I can remember the, the vivid uh, picture in my mind was, not only saying to myself, Jim, I'm not going to Mongolia, but I also told God that I was not going to go to Mongolia. 
<laughs> and not only did I go to Mongolia with the team, we actually added on Japan and China on the same trip. So that <laughs> has a great sense of humor, but uh, he's taken us uh, to a lot of different places. Mongolia probably, and most certainly being the most uh, unusual, but boy, was it fruitful and uh, it was time well served. Yeah, that's great. Spud, you wanna yeah, up with a couple questions or? Yeah, I've got one big one, one big one for both for both of you is the answer because Pete, Pete likes to likes me to throw him a curveball every now and again. So Bill, I'll go to Pete first, and then after Pete finishes, Bill, if you if you want to answer. So I, I know a lot of I know you guys. You know, Pete, Pete, you're you're a bit of a pro golfer yourself, as in the ability that you play at. And I'm sure, Bill, in your career, you get a lot of guys coming to you with their problems about golf. You know. How do I stop slicing it? How do I stop turning it over? How do you hit this shot, that shot? And then, uh, the reason we're running these, we call them audience of one, yeah. is that you know in our world, it's being shaken at the moment. Everyone's lives are being affected by what's going on in the world. You know, the increase in our um, joblessness and you know people maybe facing their income being affected and we talked about identity at the start and a lot of people put their identity on that at the beginning if someone was listening to this tonight um and i'll come to you first pete and they're just like i want to know what this is all about to live for an audience of one how would you best tell them that of what they need to do wow that's but that is just that's a great great question you know i think you know, for I look I look back in my own life, you know, and I look at the different um, moments. You know, Bill, you know, had some moments early in his life, and he had this experience on the PGA Tour. You know, saying, "Okay, God," I'll, and I, I think we've all had these kind of moments. Um, and I certainly think this is a time in history. And I've I've shared this with a lot of people um, the last month, but I feel like, um, you know, the it, it really what God wants is our, he wants us to be present today. He's, he's really not concerned about what you've done, what I've done. He just doesn't, you know, he, he wants us to be fully, you know, I, I, I call it just fully present today. So I feel like the most important day of my life, uh, and, and if the whole world heard this would be like that I gave my life to Jesus today, that I, I said, I'm, I'm going to follow you today. All my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I surrender myself to you fully, totally, absolutely. Um, and I did that this morning. I, I did that today. Um, knowing that today, you know, could be the last day of my life. Hopefully, I'll, many years, my, I'll get to know my grandchildren and, and uh, to, to play a few more golf courses I really want to play in the world. Um, but I think that's what I would say is like, you know, life is about surrender. Life is about submission, and it's not about you. And that's the book that Bill mentioned before, you know, that Max Lucado wrote, is it's not about you. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's the fir first line in Rick Warren's Purpose Driven Life. And I, I would say that that would be a summary for me of what I would, I would tell or what I'm sharing with you. Wow. Incredible, Bill. Yeah, well, well, well said, Pete. I... Um... Well, um, it, it is, I think, uh, 
just just an unusual time in the in the history of our our countries, the world. Uh, no doubt how many times that had been said by so many people. But I think uh, um, the the one thing that came to mind when Pete was uh, was speaking was, you know, at this point in time, it's it for me anyway. It's 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 not a time. Uh, to believe in something, but to believe in someone. And, you know, in the faith community, uh, it's never uh, been more a call to where you stand foundationally in your life. And I think uh, as believers, we're, we're required to, uh, you know, uh, really draw on our faith and be able to share our lives. And, and uh, maybe that begins uh, so close in our family, uh, and maybe we'll have the privilege of friends beyond that, and maybe even into our workplace. But um, I'm not one that uh, is patterned to to save the world. I think in my little bean field that I'm to look over, uh, I'm called to pray, uh, pray for our leaders, pray for our world, uh, pray for you know the truth. Uh, I think that never before has our world been, uh, have the lines been so drawn, so uh, so graphically been drawn between good and evil and truth and non-truth. And uh, the only only place I've been able to draw any, uh, any, any comfort or peace in the midst of a lot of turmoil is the word, is the truth. Uh, uh, we know where the truth is. Uh, God himself has told us and he gave us a son, his son to uh, be able to, uh, to to learn and because he experienced the world and um, he died for us that we might be able to experience the world and have freedom in, in the midst of times like this. So uh, I think... Uh, Sometimes, rather than looking at a, how can we solve this, uh, kind of on a personal basis, go to prayer and, uh, you know, look at family and our friends and, you know, those that uh, are in our spheres of influence, um, you know, we've got to be uh, very defined in, in who we are and what we stand for in, uh, in the times we're experiencing now. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you know what? I didn't even realize tonight um, that you that you knew Max Lakato is a friend of yours, obviously. And um, I remember uh, as a young Christian, young man growing up, uh, someone ha handed me a copy of his book. He chose the nails. Mm. Uh, wow, it was a game changer in my life. That just totally put me on the path that I'm on now. And I actually, I actually have a bit written down, written down of one of one of the quotes of it. Uh, uh, I'll never forget it. It says, I'm just going to read it here. It says, there, there are times when God sends thunder to stir us. There are times when God sends blessings to lure us. But there are times when God sends nothing but silence as he honors us with the freedom to choose where we spend eternity. Wow. You know, and I think that's just one of the things from tonight. I just love to leave with people out there who are watching this or watching it back at a later date is, you know, he gives us the freedom to choose where we spend eternity, but having heard from, 
you know, the guys tonight and me, I'll add my yes and amen to what they've said. You know, we choose Jesus every day, Pete, you know, and Bill, we choose Jesus every day. And we'd encourage everyone who's watching this to do the same. Um, and we're going to have a, a, a call immediately after this. You can see the link below where some of our guys are going to be there. If you, anyone wants to chat this through or make that decision or have someone pray with you, our team's going to be there to do that. Um, but just, just as we bring it in the, in the land, um, Bill, um, I've got a few quick fire questions for you. Yeah. Yep. Good. Your, your top three courses in the world. Certainly Royal St. George's. I'd be, if I didn't say that, I'd be in trouble. <laughs> uh, probably Pebble Beach. Uh, I kind of like Jack Nicholas make the comment. If I had one round of golf left, it may be at Pebble Beach, but yeah. Augusta National and Royal St. George's. Got to throw St. Andrews in there, too. Have you ever played <laughs> golf in Ireland? Have you played golf in Ireland yet? Oh, golly. I mean, uh, let me let me redefine that list again. It's, it's Port <laughs> Rush. <laughs> uh, I love Port Rush. I love Royal County Down. I love uh, uh, Art Glass. God. Yeah. Man, man the, uh, there's so many. And I love Northern Ireland golf and obviously the people, but... Uh, Y'all own a lot of good golf over there. Uh, you, you answered a few good ones there. Well done, Bill. Um, your, your fantasy four ball, if you could oh, pick three other guys to play around with, who would it be? <clears throat> wow. Boy, that, uh, that's, I've been asked that before. I probably answered it differently every time. But um, I'm going to say... Probably my father, probably Bruce Litsky, and maybe Ben Crenshaw. Yeah. Pete, what about you for that one? Can I caddy, Bill, for that group? <laughs> <laughs> That's no, all you... I want to do. I, I, I like to carry double. I'll carry for, for Ben Crenshaw and for Bruce Litsky. There and you I'll go. watch you play with your dad. There you that's go. How, that's my dream foursome. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so it's so hard not to choose family, right? I mean, I, you know, my last round of golf maybe with my dad, my brother, my sister, probably. And uh that that's uh I, I was fortunate enough to do that last year. We went down and played at uh at the players course. I think we lost about 25 golf golf balls at Sawgrass. <laughs> But I, I told my dad, I said, I want to play. He's 83. I said, I want, you know, let's, we were down there visiting my brother who's living down there and we played and I said, it doesn't get any better than this. So like <laughs> Bill, I'd answer differently every time, but it's hard not yeah. to choose family. Right. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Scur scurriest tee shot. Oh, boy. Oh, my <clears throat> it, it, it might be the, it might be the 18th at the, at the uh, stadium course at Players. At Pebble, uh, or, um, Sawgrass. At players, yeah, Sawgrass could. That's that's one of the one of the scariest ones for me. Pete. Well, since I hit a big draw, I mean, and I just played there, I'm thinking the 18th. I'm going to agree with Bill. I hate that tee shot. <laughs> I start my shot so far right. You know, and I try to cut it. <laughs> That's it. I hate that shot, man. That is, but 
it's kind of when there's love hates them I and you want to be there right bill i mean you want to, you want to, be there to get it. yeah yeah um one of, uh, one of the last ones is obviously with everything happening in the game at the moment we've seen a, a dramatic transformation of bryson the shampoo over the last few months oh my goodness that's just insane and everyone's everyone's hitting it further uh, coming from your generation, are you for doing something in the technology to shorten it or extending the courses? Or where are you sitting with that one at the moment? Yeah, I'd probably go against the grain on this one, but I'm not. Um, <clears throat> I think the, the, the horse is out of the barn. The uh, trains left the station. And I don't know how you reel it back. And I do know one thing. If there's one thing commentators and fans alike, love to talk about it's the long ball so uh i cannot imagine uh dialing back the golf ball i don't even know how you go there but uh, i'm not like gonna stand out there and be a big advocate for let them go with it whatever happens but uh the uh, conditions when uh you're playing any golf course if you can just get some kind of uh weather conditions be it usually a, a wind and firm greens a golf course despite its length will have some defense but uh mm -hmm. man look at the the conversation of the day is look what how far bryson dechambeau is hitting it so uh yeah. i guess at the end of the day that's good for the game yeah brilliant I, I would just add the same comment to bill i i mean you can play a golf course like marion like they played a few years ago and it's not a bad distance so, I mean, it, it, you can't blame any guys to do this. I would defend Bryson, as, you know, he's a personal friend of mine, but he, and he's very scientific and very, uh, you know, but he is, he is authentically himself. And as a, as a human and as a man, like he, he, he may come under some scrutiny, but I've spent some time with him and I really like Bryson quite a bit. Um, and if he thinks he can gain advantage and he can, play better and win more and hit it further. And that's what the game requires. I mean, he's willing to do it. It's, it's not easy to have a transformation like that. It's not like he's sitting home eating popcorn and ice cream and doing this. Like he's, <laughs> right. I mean, he's, I mean, I'd love to put on 30 pounds and hit it further, but I'll tell you where my 30 would go. It's not <laughs> like his. So, you know, I'm going to defend Bryson quite a bit and I'm, I'm probably with Bill on this. Uh, uh, you know, it's not, it's not really about the length, you know, it's, it's about the, uh, there's a lot of fun. I mean, the seventh hole at, at Pebble, I mean, things a hundred yards and, and guys would put a three on the card and walk to the next hole every time they wouldn't even play the hole. It's a hundred yards. Okay. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Last question. And th this one did throw Stuart sink a bit. So take your time to think about it. I'll let Pete go first. Cause he can He's seen it from a different Same answer. Uh, <laughs> your, favorite, your favorite four days on the tour. Um, I think we're all agreed, but I think we're, we're, I think we're agreed that the third, we know the Wednesday is always going to be the par three at Augusta. I guess, yeah. But I also, part of me also thinks the Thursday at Augusta too, because it's the anticipation of that. It's the first major of the year and you just want to see it on TV. Um, so the Friday, the cut day, Saturday, the moving day, and Sunday, the final day, what, what would your favorite? I, I think Bill's has got to go for this because I think you guys have heard me and I'd, I'd be 
and I think any Thursday on, on at a major is going to be it's going to be great. And probably the same with the players, a uh, couple of those significant ones. Just the anticipation you've prepped yourself, you you know, just wanting to get off to a good start. And uh, any of those events this year are going to be are going to be large, you know. And then, of course, Sunday at, at a, is being in the hunt. You know, somewhere it's it's probably not as much the places; it just is the uh, the heartbeat. Yeah. You know, these guys love they live. You know, it's one of the privileges I get is like to talk to guys through Sundays and the privilege of um, just participating in that. Like, and just having it's like it's like life. You know, it's 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 like you're so nervous in golf and teeing off, right? I and mean, when we get on the first tee and you barely get the, you know the tee in the ground, you wonder, I hope I make contact here, but you live for that, uh, you know, standing over seven footer, right. And saying, okay, I got to make a good stroke on it. This 71st hole. So, okay, Bill, I gave you a little time to think. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, and, and Spud, the idea was any of those days at any championship, is that what? Any, any, any championship. Okay. Um, <clears throat> I think, um, I'd agree with Pete, uh, you know, preparation requires so much. And especially if you're um, in the realm of, uh, I'd say probably the top 20 or 30 players, which there's a lot required of them uh, during a tournament week, not only in preparation, but just in obligation, uh, be it press commitments or family commitments. So there's a lot that goes on in the three days, right, uh, ramping up to Thursday. But I can tell you, um, and it, it's the beauty of playing on the PGA Tour is to get inside the ropes, is the, whether it's a Thursday through Sunday, that, that is where you wanna be. And there's, a, uh, there's just such a great comfort level. And that's your domain, that's where you wanna be. And uh, there's, uh, it, it always was for me, uh, you know, when I when I walked through the uh, little rope quarter there and got inside the ropes, you know, it uh, it matches up with, um, you know, let it, it, it's go time and, and I'm ready and this is this is what I like and this is where I want to be at little kids just jumping out of your chest. And, uh, you know, you got to learn to control that, by the way, emotion. But uh, anyway, I would. Uh, I would not really pick apart any of the any of the days so much, but uh, uh, there's there's nothing like also stepping up there Sunday and having a chance to win. That's a uh, that's a that's a good spot to be, whether it's from in front or behind. Uh, that's to have a chance is uh, is a good place to be. Yeah, brilliant, awesome. Well, listen, guys. Thank you so much for your time and uh, for being with us tonight. We we honor you guys and thank you for all that you're doing. Uh, Pete, all the best for heading back out, getting on yeah. the scene with some of the guys and catching up with, them with everything going on. Phil, uh, whatever life looks like for you, you know, what does life look like for you and I in these next few weeks, few months ahead? Well, we'll be sticking close. We're 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 not. We don't have too much going on. We're just kind of holding the course and. Uh, you know, just kind of, I got you, I'm in, in the good season of life with grandchildren. So that's a big part of our lives. We like that. We're availability is a good place to be. Absolutely. Well, hopefully we can get you back on the Emerald Isle one day soon. 
I'm, I'm, I'm coming, Spud. I'm gonna, I want to play with you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll get you. We'll get you up to the bass course in the line, which is Port Stewart. So yeah, it's got the best. I love it. Neil Graham. Yeah. Oh, don't. Not him. <laughs> yeah. I think that's the best nine holes in the world, as far as I can In my experience, those first nine holes, Port Stewart, nothing, nothing beats it. Uh, but for everyone watching, we want to thank you for being with us over these last four weeks. Um, you know, head on to the conversation afterwards if you want to ask some questions, speak to some of the guys there. You'll see the link below on Zoom and stuff like that. But for now, this is us. We want to say thank you for everyone who's been part of it. Thank you to Bill, thank you to Pete and all our other guests over the past couple of weeks. We hope we will see you soon. Be blessed. Thanks, thank you, God bless.